can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. Shock blew up. So this is my drug lifestyle, and I'm into it. Exactly. You're 37. It's time to, like, the grave awaits us all. Like, let's let's maybe kind of break some rules and have some fun, right? <laughs> Chris, hey, how are you? good. We've been talking a lot about doping in tennis, and there was big doping in tennis news that involved pasta. Explain. Amazing. Amazing. It's an amazing story. Yep. Sarah Arani, an Italian player who I believe has made at least one Grand Slam. I think she made a French Open final. Yes. Uh, an accomplished doubles player, right? Very accomplished doubles player. Excellent. Uh, excellent player. On the shorter end of the professional athlete spectrum um but has made you know <laughs> yeah, small right. and mighty right right like above gymnast but that's about it kind yeah. of yeah she has like a gymnast build um yep. got caught or tested positive and it was released uh late last week for a doping infraction yep right a estrogen suppressant right. that sometimes is involved in hiding other more serious drugs right which is, uh, which but is... Excuse the deposition was leaked in Italian, and I'm no, uh, I'm not that multilingual. But um, Twitter translations basically linked this to Tortellini. <laughs> Amazing, right? That that but like like th- that that the drug in question, uh, she said her mom has been using that as a treatment for breast cancer for the past what five years, and years then, years, and then it got into. The pasta somehow, maybe. I mean, it is everything I can do not to do like some kind of terrible Chef Boyardee accent right now. I am <laughs> not even one to do accents or Chef Boyardee ones at that, but like it is so hard. Uh, yeah, it really is. I mean, it's one of those things where it's such like a like it reminds me of the uh, Gasquet thing where he tested positive cocaine because he and he said because he was kissing someone who had done cocaine. It, Remember in the cube. Right. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty, I mean, look. It's pretty good. I feel like at least points for originality. Yeah, I mean, and look, both of these things might be true. The problem with Irani is that, wasn't it years ago she had that connection with the trainer who had been banned for doping in cycling? Yes, yes. That famous, um, Luis I think Spanish. Del Moral uh, or something? Yes, yeah, yeah. cycling trainer. So there's been some, yeah, there's been right. sort of so there's, a shadow. Right, exactly. And like, this is not to say that she did anything but just like my reaction was like oh yeah because that um her like rapid climb up the ranks not that long ago and the fact that she's like cut up uh which is not enough to convict someone of using steroids but i think that people were like primed to hear the story and also primed not to believe the pasta story perhaps and what is happening right now is she is she has admitted that that you know that was in her system for the reasons given Tortellini and then is contesting the um, fact that she will have to under this um, ban, which is not that long. It's only a couple months, but we'll yeah. have to give back retroactive pay and points that she earned during the period between drug tests yep. that it was found in her system. And a lot of people curiously have brought up the fact that there was a huge gap, including some of the slams that yep. there was not any testing done. Yeah. Very strange. So I don't know exactly what I can tell you. Having been drug tested, you didn't get drug tested in college, did you? Oh God, no, 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 no. I got drug tested constantly. Yeah. Well, I was surprised these like players getting tested like seven, eight times, 
That's a lot. So I used to get tested like once, at least once every two months. Between the school, Missouri had rec- like requirements for testing that were pretty like lackadaisical, if we're honest. Right. Beginning of season, mid-season, end of season. The Big 12 Conference, of which Missouri was a part, now it's part of the SEC, mm-hmm. had its own system, which, which was stricter and less notification. So you didn't necessarily know it was coming more than a day or two in advance. Mm-hmm. And then the NCAA had very, very strenuous testing yeah. standards where they would give you a couple hours. But and I remember, I... I'll never forget because one of these times I had terrible, terrible tonsillitis. It was like one of the few times I just got like super sick and I was like zonked out of my mind. And I remember getting an NCAA drug test and being like, I am so sick. I can like barely walk out of bed. And they were like, no, you have to come down. This woman was in the stall with me, like watching me pee so that I couldn't they keep the doors open so that you can't, I don't know, pull a switcheroo or something. I just remember being like, uh, this is a low, this is a low point. For me <laughs> I can't. Uh, yeah. I have a lot of questions about how this works because for these professional players, like they're traveling all the time. I just imagine someone in like a hotel lobby, like reading a newspaper, uh, yeah. try, try not to get caught just like running up and testing them. Yeah, it's a with lot like a of tests. Yeah, over their eyes. <laughs> exactly. And a briefcase. Yeah. Um, specimens. No, it's true. I don't yeah. know. I, what if they're like on a flight, or what if they their schedule changed abruptly, or they're treating an injury? I don't know. Like you know what I mean? There's yeah. so many possibilities. The longer that I've a been alive as a human being, and b done sort of tennis specific stuff, journalism, I guess you could say, the more and more sympathy I have for the players. Just they're just trying to sort of get by, and maybe some of them are cheating. I kind of question generally the whole concept of cheating with substances because, as we've talked about before, I don't necessarily think it replaces any skill set. It just enhances them, and maybe that's fair or not, but it's a it's it's a very, very gray area, and now I have personal experience. This seems like a good segue to talk about your own doping. <laughs> My own doping. Right. Which, by the way, the last time um, we talked, I left two elements of this story hanging. A, was I... Or was I not, in fact, going to do meldonium? I think I was calling it melodonium, which I've mm-hmm. seen it written as. It's also meldonium. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'll go with the latter for now. Um, I have, in fact, started doping. So yeah. uh, the personal guinea pig gonzo journalism experiment is alive okay. four days in. Um, and second of all, I was waiting to hear back from my captain about whether or not it was a banned substance in the USTA. And obviously it is not, yep. which is why I'm doping. Got it. So, so okay, so let's slow down for a minute and do the, sure. like, NPR thing. So, okay, so, like, describe the moment of o- opening the box and taking the pill. Well, I opened the box during our episode for the first time, and I read right. those instructions, none of which were in English. That was upsetting. <laughs> that made me worry. very worried. We could throw the tape. Yeah. Um, and then I got a tweet. I won't reveal the tweeter just because I'm not sure that they would want to be revealed, but someone tweeted at me with a PDF of instructions for use. Wow. Wow. Yep. In English. Um, Obviously. uh, Let's just pause for a second, sorry, and just explain to people, like, you're, like, a pretty serious tennis player. Like, how often you play, what you do. Am I a serious tennis player? I mean, I guess I'll go along with that character. (laughs) You're in your mid-30s and you travel for for tournaments. That's pretty serious. Okay, well, kind of. All right, so I used to play Division I tennis. My credentials are as follows. I was ranked in the top 100 in the country when I was 17, um, which is not nothing, but not great. Uh, the highest ranking I ever achieved was a doubles. I was ranked number 18 in the country. Um, I got recruited to play D1 tennis. I never, ever made any of those huge international, like, junior tournaments, like Junior Wimbledon, Junior French Open. Like, I was 
several levels below that. Although I did once play the Fiesta Bowl. You know, I could see greatness, but I couldn't touch it. Right. And I was a D1 player. I played on a full scholarship, which is how I got a journalism degree at the University of Missouri. Missouri being a D1 school in a very, very difficult conference, then the Big 12, now even more difficult than the SEC. But I was a pretty mediocre college player at that level. Um, You know, I won more matches than I lost, ultimately, but not by a huge margin. And uh, whenever we would play one of the big schools, like in the top 10, your UCLA's Georgia's, Florida's, Stanford's. Um, I don't even think we we qualified in a lot of cases to play them, but we would get crushed by like Texas every year. Yeah. Texas was ranked like six or seven in the country. So yeah, I'm a good player, and that's obviously like 15 years ago. I play, I try to play at least three times a week, but re- realistically, it's more it's closer to two, because um, I have a kid and a job and another job. Right. Well, um, two, but twice in Manhattan, which is like four times anywhere else. Like it isn't yeah, like, it's like wandering out to sun drenched courts. Like it's hard. Yeah. yeah. Oh God, that'd be great. Um, so yeah, like I'm in the USDA 5.0 level, which is 5.0 and 5.5. And basically definitionally it's the highest level of like sort of recreational tennis. And most of the people who play it are like me. They are former collegiate athletes, maybe 10 years out. There are a few people in their twenties who are five fives and a few people who were very, very good players, like better than me who are also five fives. Um, I played with one last night. She was an All-American at Pepperdine, and wow. she is the number two, two-ranked 40-and-over player in the country. So, like, good, and to be clear, she's a little better than me. Not a ton better than me, but, like, that hopefully gives you a sense of my, like, ability, I hope. And so when I tra- when you say I travel for tennis tournaments, I mean, sort of. Like, our, our, our USTA team is playing this weekend in Albany, and then should we win, we'll go to Nationals, which is usually held in Palm Springs. I believe this year it's in Orlando. So, like... You know, right. not you know. Nobody's You're... sending me to to right. Barcelona to, to play in front of a ticketed audience, but yeah, it's great. I love it, and you know, it's right. it's the level is so good that people are really nice and chill because most of us have achieved high, higher heights than we are now capable. Right. right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So everyone's totally. like, kind of just being like, oh, this is fun. Right. And so uh, all of this is to say that like you play enough and play seriously enough that that like you're 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 now you're like the doping might register right in how you're feeling and 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 how your body recovers and in fact it has wow okay so so when did you take the first uh the first pill so i decided to take two 250 milligram doses because the pdf i got said the dose is between 500 and 1000 milligrams a day <laughs> so this pdf you got from twitter <laughs> you decided <laughs> to go with that okay <laughs> yeah and i had one of those like watermark stamps that looked really official mm-hmm. so i was like yeah this is a yeah, sure sure uh i had a moment of hesitation where i was like what am i doing is this heart medication <laughs> Because I saw a woman I play with, too, who is a doctor, in fact, and she was like, you are an idiot. <laughs> um, so, yeah. you know, well, there weren't, there was Jokes on her. Would... You're not dead. Yep. Boom. Yep. Alive and better than ever. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I, I hesitated slightly, but then I popped two pills in my mouth. I decided to do 500 milligrams only because I only have 20 of these things, and I wanted to take a full week or at least like a full five days before the competition this weekend, yep. and then I could either bank them for if we in fact make nationals or uh i don't know continue with my addiction and then get some drug meal to bring me some from riga latvia mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it seems mm-hmm. super doable so, right now okay so, 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 so how, how did it make you feel uh so no discernible discernible difference uh for the first couple of days largely because i didn't get on a court until yesterday uh, but uh-huh. i've also played this morning 
And in both cases, I was much less winded than usual. And to be clear, like, I just talked about how, like, great I am at tennis, but, like, I'm 37 and I have a kid. And um, as much as I would love to be, like, cross-training, running five miles a day and in the gym, I mean, I wouldn't really. And I like drinking and the occasional cigarette. So realistically, you know, there – I'm not an elite athlete, uh, but I felt a notable, noticeable difference. I wasn't as winded, um, and I was definitely more energetic. Uh, huh. And I've been in a great mood. Again, could be placebo effect. I'm not a doctor, but I have been tweeting at um, hashtag performance enhanced podcast just in case. And I think there's only about three people, but okay. just in case anybody's wanted to sort of follow along this journey. Um, and today will be actually the real test because you're catching me in between a two a day. So this morning I hit for about 50 minutes with a friend of mine who's about my level. And we just did like drills, backhands, forehands, you know, down the line, cross court kind of th- kind of stuff. And then uh-huh. played some points. I've crushed him in the points playing, by the way, which felt great. <laughs> do, Not do, the drugs, but certainly the confidence. Do you uh, do you usually crush him or is that usually easy? No, oh. I don't. All right. Yeah. And okay. then I'm playing doubles after work today in Central Park. Okay. So, you know, uh, I think what it comes down to for me is one of the reasons your coaches make you run so much when you're a junior is because I remember – being told this because I was never the fittest player because I want to like you know be athletic and and points quickly is that if you train hard you'll have so much confidence that you can grind out points if you need to right and that was something I always kind of dismissed because it didn't really play to my strengths um and I look down on players who are retriever types but (laughs) there is something about the idea that like if you need to stay out there and hit a bunch more balls you don't have to end the point so quickly right you can grind for a bit until you have a better look at finishing yeah and this experience this week kind of has harkened back to that where I was like oh maybe again placebo effect but I felt in my heart like oh I could grind out here for a while I don't need to end this point right now or look for a way to finish because I feel insecure about my ability to like keep playing points you know yeah so this is my drug lifestyle and I'm into it yeah cool so so how how many more pills do you have so I have a total of uh 12 no 14 uh yeah Sunday Monday Tuesday Wednesday yeah I have 12 okay and you're gonna use them up in Albany you think I think what I'll do is I'll take another two tonight mm-hmm. maybe four tomorrow wow just like it's like carbo loading with millennium. Yeah. yeah well because the the PDF says 500 milligrams out of competition uh-huh. thousand milligrams in competition and what's more in competition than being up in the blistering courts of Albany New York <laughs> exactly exactly thanks PDF mm-hmm. um great yep well, um, so the this is very exciting. Continues. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. This is probably insanely stupid, and I think maybe if other people get wind of this, I might get in trouble. I don't actually think that that's true because I've checked with the rules, but yeah, I'm, um, I'm ready for a uh, swift and uh, incontrovertible decision to take away my glory. But you know, right. then what if what what else is being alive for? Right, I would ask. Exactly, you're 37. It's time to like the grave awaits us all. Like let's let's maybe kind of break some rules and have some fun, right? And to your point, yeah. I feel like this has cemented my reputation as a cool maverick. <laughs> right. You don't play by the rules. Hey, uh, um, all right. So we'll get an update on that post-Albany to like mm-hmm. see how well you played and if you ground out points and if you went into like a roid rage or whatever. Certainly possible. Certainly possible. Uh, speaking of pushers, did you see this point? Uh, match point, uh, Zverev, the young one, and uh, Gasquet, the, the match did. point? The 49 shot rally? 49 shot. Was Gasquet hurt? Because the amount of pushing he did, it was scandalous. Like, he was just praying for Zverev to make an error. I, it's so I, funny I, when you see that I couldn't, pro I could, player. I couldn't find anything saying he was hurt. 
And if he wasn't, the, and the, the the way he looked after the point was sort of like sheepish. And I was just like, it, it's it was insane how he was playing. It was like just short of the Monfi, <laughs> like Djokovic thing where he sort of like gave up in the first set. It was nuts. Yeah, usually you give up when you're down like a set and a break. Yeah. Not when you have a match point against arguably the hottest player on tour, uh, Sasha Zverev, who just yeah. won the tournament in, in uh, D.C. this past weekend. Uh, it was super no, sad. It was baffling. Like, baffling. And it's like, a, sorry, it's like a window into like the amount of self-sabotage a player like Gasquet must have yeah. been going through his whole life. Ugh. That's a failure of a courage, as I guess they would say. And yeah. it, to me, there's so there are these moments when you look at a player and you're just like, God, I know that feeling. Yeah, and oh yeah. The feeling of like, oh, I'm I'm here at the finish line and I'm just gonna wait for the other person to fall. Yeah. It's like, no, dude, you gotta you gotta finish. But it's so tough. Like I I I relate to it, but I don't. I have so such few opportunities watching professional athletes. Yeah, exactly. I, I was actually, this is kind of unrelated, but I was just watching the Naomi Osaka match. She got up a set, uh, she split sets with Plishkova, who's currently the number one player in the world. Mm-hmm. And I love Naomi Osaka. She's 19, she's young, she's a big hitter. Plishkova's a big hitter. They're having a great match. And, you know, she kind of gets hit off the court the first set. She comes back, she plays a sizzling second set, takes it into tiebreaker, and then, like, starts to feel a tweak in her ab, which has been bothering her, like, for the year. And her coach comes down, and he's like, you got to retire. And she's like, no, but I'm so close. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, oh, it's such a bummer, because now, you know, we have, like, on-court coaching. Yeah. And I've been watching streaming TV where they take you to the court with microphones. Yeah. And it just, like, was a heartbreaker. I also remember that feeling of being like, no, but I can do it. And it's like, no, 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 at what cost? You're 19. Do not yeah. have a major, major abdomen, like, core muscle yeah. injury. Yeah. Like, it is absolutely not worth it. But just what a frustrating feeling to win a set off of the number one player at a pretty big major tournament, a premier-level tournament. And Would have been her to, biggest like, win. Walk away. Yeah, 100% sure. by, yeah. by large. A wide margin, margin. I mean, yeah. Yeah, she's, like, I think in the 40s. Yeah. Um, and she's never been a player in the top 10. Right. But, you know, super exciting for the future. Hopefully, you know, obviously she takes care of it and it goes away. But just, like, you get these insights in these moments where it's just like, oh, Gasquet, finish, you know? I know. Oh, God. It was so, like, it, oh, my heart broke for Naomi Osaka. Just like, yeah, that sucks. Well, that and, sucks. And when Gasquet was in 2016, when he beat, didn't he beat Stan in the Wimbledon quarters, I think? And it was yeah, sort he of, got to the semis that year. Yeah, and it, but it was... That match had its share of like, oh, he's just hanging on. And it's weird because like I can see, I mean, I can see, I'm projecting onto him, but I remember the feeling of like, like you're nervous, but you twist it around in your head to to be like, I'm just going to dig deep and get everything back. And it feels like a virtue in the moment of like, I'm just going to be super tough. I'm going to make him hit a winner. But it's like, (laughs) yeah, well, you get old enough and you progress far far enough in tennis that they will hit winners. And not only that, but like Zverev was so pumped up and he's like 19, like, you just giving away, it's weird to see a whole match given away on one point, but that's what you saw in that. Ugh. It was, it was point, hard to yeah. watch. I mean, the rest of the match was just like a collapse. Right. Hard to watch. Yeah, the yeah. point wasn't even a particularly good one. It's just the whole time you're like, oh, cool. He's got a setup for a shot that he can throttle, and he just doesn't. It's like, I mean, it's such a dazzling display of cowardice I'm, i know that's harsh but i know and his forehand already like he has tr- trouble already like when you watch his forehand hitting through the court like it's really loopy it's really um, but he was i mean he was hitting like unnecessary squash shots off the forehand like there yeah, was it one like he was just hanging on for his life instead of controlling the match in a one set one he, point from victory right and it was, and it was forty three. Like it would just, it was just deuce afterwards. Like I don't, I don't know, I don't know. It's, it was know. hard. It was hard, and it was like, oh, this You're guy's been this really hard. 
I, well, I was just like, yeah, maybe too, too, too much. But it's like the hard part is like, oh, this guy's been wrestling with this his whole career. And this this was just a, a like the most yeah. pointed example of it. So I won't say any more, but it was, it was tough. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. 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 Um, okay. Well, uh, on to someone who was accused of doing drugs and was not a pusher, Mary Pierce. Neither. <laughs> Definitely um, not a pusher. This is marks the return of one of our... I would say most popular, but I have no evidence of that. It's popular with me. Yeah. Uh, segments called Never Number One, in which we celebrate a player whose name you probably know, whose game uh, you have probably been exposed to, but has never actually achieved number one, despite what you might think. And this week we're doing, um, at the request of a few of our uh, listeners, Mary Pierce. Yep. The great Mary Pierce. Great. Um, all right, Caitlin. So we have uh, we have uh, another never number one. Uh, Let's rehash for listeners who might have joined us recently, since we haven't done one of these in a while. What a never number one is? It's a really short profile of a player who never made it to number one, which most of our favorite players never did. I mean, um, most never do. Most of us are never the best thing in the world at something, <laughs> but it doesn't mean we don't deserve celebration. Exactly. And especially because, you know, in the last couple of years on the men's side and then earlier with Steffi Graf and Celis on the women's side, like there hasn't been a lot of variety of number ones. So like most of the best people out there never got to be number one, including this week, Mary Pierce. Mary, Mary, Mary Pierce. Pierce. Kind of a forgotten a never number great one. player. Yeah. Kind of a forgotten great player. She made it to number three. Which, mm-hmm. which was not that surprising. She won two majors in 95. She won the Australian in 2000. She won the French, I think. And, um, and yeah, two majors is like a weird place to be, right? It is. It's kind of like you're not a fluke, but you also, you know, maybe aren't like the greatest player of your generation. But right. I wouldn't shake a stick at two Grand Slams. No, no, not at all. Um, and also, for the record, she reached six Grand Slam singles finals. Yes. Yeah, and she, she made two in 2005 and then was basically out of the game by 2006 after a horrific knee injury that uh, it's sort of like the Maddox Sands thing, um, but uh, the camera's further away, which is nice. That's the only better thing. But, like, <laughs> you know, what happens, you're like, oh, this is probably a career-ending injury for her because she was only 31, um, but she kind of had a dip in the middle of her career, so it made it seem like she kind of had two distinct careers, which we will come which on to. Which I think is – yeah, I mean, yeah. she won her, her maiden – Grand Slam at 95, and then she was most recently in a final in 2005. Right. Pretty good. Which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And she also won some doubles titles. She paired up with Boopity, who was for a long time Leander Pays' partner. So, like, she was cool. And also, she has this thing, and we should be clear, part of the reason we're talking about her is because I had a run-in with her at Wimbledon a couple weeks ago, and uh, I mentioned it on the show, and and kind of out of the woodwork, a lot of people who listen to our show were pumped about the prospect of, of chatting with her. And some of them even sent me like some, some like anecdotes, uh, and, and kind of ephemera of, of Mary Pierce, which was cool. It was like nice to see that we're not the only people who like to celebrate a never number one in, in both, you know, sort of spirit and, and actual concept. So here we are, we're talking about Mary Pierce. Yeah. Um, and I'm delighted to be doing so. Right. Uh, if you did not hear the anecdote, it wasn't a particularly great one, but we sat next to each other at Wimbledon a few weeks ago, and she bought me on the head. Um, and now she, just to catch everybody up, is a pretty excellent uh, broadcast commentator. From what I can tell, people really like it. And I love when there's like a pro player who is also like good at doing that because it's not easy. 
Right. Right. It's not. What are your memories of her playing? Because like for me, she was sort of like somewhere between kind of Graf and Capriati, probably closer to Capriati, but just in terms of like just that era when like there were like women who were just like gigantic off the ground. And yeah, just, I mean, Mary yeah, Pierce is clean very winner, tall. Tennis, yeah, she's Cl- huge. big babe tennisser. Oh, yeah. and just to be clear, I said Eurosport, but I meant BBC. But mm-hmm. That is what she's been doing, BBC. Um, both excellent broadcast networks. Uh, she's huge. She, I remember her as just a forehand, like a huge forehand that kind of had a dramatic arc forward, right. um, and a pretty big serve. And I also remember her weeping a good amount. Just generally, she was, in my memory anyway, one of the weepier players, which is interesting because it's uh, kind of a juxtaposition with her sort of big babe kind of vibe. And then also, who could forget uh, one thing we've already talked about, which is her very interesting triangulation of citizenships. Right. Right. uh, Not so different than than your own, Caitlin. Well, she's way more interesting than me, but yes. (laughs) Born in Montreal, Quebec. Right. Like me. Right, with with a French mother and American father who was briefly more famous than her, unfortunately. Because he was a dick. Because he was a monster. Yeah, there was the Jim Pierce rule where they were like, oh, you know what? We have our rules for decorum and tennis, but this guy is so far out the norm, we have to actually write new rules to get him away from the matches. Um, yeah, seems like a horrible guy, but also drove her. You know, she didn't start until she was 10 years old. She didn't start until she was 10 at... 12 she was the number two ranked on under 12 girl made made her debut on the tour at 14 and won her first tour title uh at 16 wow in in italy that is bananas i mean that's like incredible arc for six years yeah i mean that's like the combination of like a parent that drives you like crazy and also just like a shit ton of natural ton of natural talent totally Um, and she's an athlete like i can report even now you know her about 10 years out of the game she's still like I wouldn't say she's like jacked, but she's a big gal. Right. Not like un- sh- I don't mean that in a any kind of a body shaming image way, but she's like you can tell that if she like you know she's were in the gym, she would be a jacked again right. pretty she's, fast. She's like a powerful athlete. That's she's like, got yeah, yeah, she's got the build of a powerful athlete. Yeah. The thing that I read in preparation for this that I was sort of like I knew this sort of Jim Pierce anecdotes, and I remember people, especially because she grew up in that car- I grew up in the Capriati Pierce era, um, as did you, like. The whole thing about like Stefano Capriati and Jim Pierce, like these two like hot-headed assholes who are pr- driving their big babe tennis playing daughters to craziness. Um, so I kind of remembered that, and I remember the Jim Pierce role. But I reread a really good piece in the Guardian by David Jones, uh, written in 2000. Um, basically, this the subhead kind of says it all. Seven years ago, Mary Pierce cut off all ties with her father, whose brutal training methods and foul-mouthed courtside behavior made him the original dad from hell. Now there's been a re- reconciliation, sort of. So there was this seven, like seven-year period where he was not allowed at tournaments because of, to your earlier point, decorum. I remember he said something like, Mary, kill the bitch yeah, yeah. when she was playing uh, against one of the other top-ranked players. So she's just like, ah, I mean... Uh. Yeah. Come on, man. That's like the nightmare kind of, um, you know, dad on the sidelines who, yep. like, uh, you know, who who probably drove you to the stage of success in some part, but also is hindering you. Right. Um, you know, and to her credit, she navigated the uh, uh, career both with and without him. So she seems like a formidable woman. Yeah. I mean, I just like, 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 like it reminded me a little bit of how like some, sometimes it's the parents who don't have any background in tennis that really push their kids really hard. Like she has a story about like they would just bring like balls and a racket out to a Kmart parking lot 
and like make a court for themselves on the parking lot and then just hit balls all night. Like that is a crazy level. Like that's how that's the dedication you have to have to go from not playing to winning a tour uh, in six years. Event in six years. Yeah. yeah. And to be clear, like what a incredible trajectory and also what like emotional fortitude. If you're so good that you pick up a record at ten, are ranked number one in the country in your age division in two years and then six years win your first tour title you never get worse or you never like plateau right, right? yeah and then at some point you do because everybody does even serena williams who had mostly an ascendant career kind of stalled out for a little bit injuries life events you know whatever just happens and it's really amazing when they can recover from that right in the sense that they can kind of like maintain level but then also find sort of like a second wind because it feels like talent and momentum can take you so so far at least to the top, but then like keeping you there is a totally different equation. Yeah. And so reading about her and just how long the sort of bookending of Grand Slam kind of appearances of her career, plus this whole shit with her dad. Oh, cool. Mary Pierce, man. She's a warrior, which is kind of how she looked. Like she was a warrior in person in a yeah. cool way. Yeah. Totally. Um, that I really was into. Yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, she is, um, you know, I think like she was sort of seen as kind of like, as, as I remember it, kind of a little bit of like an ice queen. Right. Like it was mm -hmm. like like she was dis dysfunctional by proxy from her father and like not that well liked. And there were like lots of rumors that she was doing steroids. Right. And she copped to doing creatine because it was not a banned substance. She was like, hey, yeah, let's use this. Yeah. Let's talk about creatine for a minute, yeah. because I think because um, it's fascinating, first of all. And it's also like so hearkening back to that era where, you know, I remember in college and high school, like this was the thing that was like the hot new substance that was not quite a steroid, but would make you jacked. And it was the thing that all these baseball players anyway, like remember Mark McGuire yeah. when he like grew a neck double the size of his original neck was yeah. like, Oh no, it's just creatine. It's like, what? Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Really? It's, it, it, it's a thing. And it like whenever an athlete takes it or admits to take it, they're like, well, it doesn't build strength. Uh, it just allows you to work out more. It's like it's kind of a distinction without a difference, right? Because <laughs> the reason yeah. you're not working you out is work you get tired, yeah, because you're stronger. But um, I want to share something that um, a Canadian listener of ours, Cherry Cote, uh, shared, which is an anecdote about Mary Pierce. It's very weird. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Okay. Back in the mid '90s, Cherry writes, "My dad was posted in Paris, and coincidentally, Corel, an Ottawa company, was the WTA Tour's main sponsor. Remember when they used to wear those like little Corel patches? Mm -hmm. yeah, Remember that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, way back. So yeah. th this checks out factually so far. In 1996, Corel's megalomaniac founder CEO Michael Copeland, whose wife notoriously dyed her dog pink, which he sent me a photo of, and it's true. This is a pink dog. Uh, launched a new version of Word Perfect. I guess the word processing program and decided to hold an event in collaboration with a Canadian embassy during Roland Garros. Um, Terry begged his parents to bring him and there he finds himself in the middle of a software presentation uh, with the Canadian embassy. Uh, and then in comes Mary Pierce. Wow. Wow. Who was just there and standing uh, and standing among the, uh, you know, among the crowds and apparently the ambassador uh, after she walked away and left, said, she's got some legs. Oh, Jesus. Come on, Ambassador. <laughs> Which is like, come on, man. A Canadian, no less. I couldn't even believe it. That's the only part of the story that, that has a fishy smell to me. No <laughs> Canadian would audibly uh, comment on a woman's appearance. Hmm. They would just, like, furiously masturbate. 
uh, well, to a picture of the queen later. Wow, this is a this is a real window into being Canadian. <laughs> Probably a totally inaccurate. Get Rosetsky on the line. Let's let's ask him. <laughs> let's sort this out. Yeah. Um, so Mary Pierce, like I said, uh, a lot of people have memories, pictures. Uh, to the creatine point, one of the pictures I saw uh, that you and I sent back and forth was her hitting a backhand. That's just like looking a famous like, shot. Yep, famous shot. Yeah, looking like her, the veins are going to explode from her arms. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So Mary Pierce. Right. Kudos I, to her. Kudos to her. And it was also just like I also think she got lumped in with her and Maresmo, right? It was like these French women, they're so huge, they're doing all these drugs. And it's sort of like, well, it was all legal. And it was also just like it seems so different at that time. Um, whereas now I feel like there's like a, a variety of body styles on the tour. So it, does, it, w- yeah. it wouldn't stand out as much, I don't think. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. The last thing we should mention about Mary Pierce, which is uh, when I was texting Dave, my partner in Racket Magazine, that I was sitting next to per- Mary Pierce, he wanted me to ask her about Roberto Alomar oh, yeah. and how they very famously dated and why he spit on that ump. Right. <laughs> and you asked which her, is right? a, <laughs> Of course I asked her. Uh, no, of course in not. In broken uh, French. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, excusez-moi, Mary Pierce. The thing that's interesting to me is that Mary Pierce moved to Mauritius. Yes, which right. is a tiny African island. Right. Uh, like, well, uh, not, not like it's it's like next to Madagascar. It is a ways from Madagascar into the Indian Ocean, middle of nowhere. It's like near Reunion. Yeah. <laughs> where they found like the washed up parts of that plane that disappeared. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, it is in the middle of the Indian Ocean, like solidly in the middle. Right. Right. And she so she was born again in 2000. And it seems like she lives in Mauritius and uh, a Pentecostal church there is kind of the center of her life. But she's also... Uh, she, she was also, as of a few years ago, coaching two younger players, and she has her own Mary Pierce Indian Ocean series. What is that? Wait, what? What's that? Yeah, she has uh, a couple of t- tournaments out there for for players ranked two hundred through six hundred. So, like, does anybody go? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I saw it. Th- I didn't see anything that happened with it this year, but they had like a legit tournament last year. It's it's really cool. Really cool. I okay. There's so many things to unpack here. Number one. Uh, not entirely crazy that a former athlete, especially one with a very intense upbringing, would be drawn to a religion, especially a sort of, uh, I don't want to say fanatical version of a religion, but like certainly like maybe a stricter or more kind of um, dogmatic end of the spectrum in terms of religion. So like that part doesn't make me like have any real questions, really, you know, and even like her Twitter profile is like, you know, servant of Christ and like there's a cross and stuff like that. Like, great. Okay, great. cool. Yeah. Lots of athletes are into that. Not my thing personally, but like, fine. So that's not crazy. The, like, how does one end up in Mauritius, which to be clear, like super nice place, but like what? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, maybe someone out there knows how Mary Pierce ended up in Mauritius. She, yeah. She, this is the part that I, my research left off. Yeah. Can't figure that out. No, can't figure that out either. Although I will say, uh, whatever, like, you know, cocktail of tennis and religion and beautiful oceans. Like, she does seem, like, above average happy for a former player. She was really positive and happy-seeming when I was sitting among her friends at, yeah. the Wim- at Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah, so cool. it works, obviously. But it's, it is a sort of, like, it was pleasantly surprised. Like, you know, you hear a lot of athletes, okay, like, maybe they found religion or, like, you know, they're, like – I feel like all the baseball players, like Derek Jeter is living in like a mansion in Tampa, basically. Right. right. Like, yep. you know, compounds. easy life yep. compounds, 
you know, drivers, air conditioning, like they probably still work out because that's part of their self-identity. But like, you know, the post-athletic world. Here's this lady. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just getting too Mauritius. It's like a major expedition. <laughs> right. As we were saying about like her growing up and her father, who I guess she's reconciled with, it seems like pretty fully. Um, like she's like one tough lady all the way around, you know? One tough lady all the way yeah. around. Um, okay. Salute to you, Mary Pierce. We are looking forward to more of your commentating because it's really good. Yes. Also, invite us to Mauritius. <laughs> Doug, Caitlin would be happy to take part in your tournament. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the line judge. Whatever. <laughs> Just get me there. All right, Caitlin. So uh, keep doing those drugs. Keep reaching for the stars. Mm -hmm, and uh, mm -hmm. we'll talk post-Albany, and we'll see how much better it's made you. Wish me luck. Yeah. Hopefully right. I won't get booed like that sprinter. <laughs> well, no, no, no. This whole thing was to become a like an edgy maverick. Right, so like, but I'm not a villain. I don't want to get into villain territory. Okay. Am I a villain? <laughs> uh, I'm counting on you to tell me if I get into villain territory. Uh, okay, I think that if you, yeah, if if your teammates start not liking you, then you need to reconsider this drug thing. But uh, mm -hmm. but until then, just just have fun. Amazing. All right, All right. bye, Chris. Bye. <laughs>